Gavin Woods Podcast, proudly brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, this is Cav Templey from Eskimo Joe, and you're listening to Gavin Woods Podcast. This band formed 25 years ago in Fremantle, Western Australia. They're a great alternative and indie rock band, and I'm very excited because I'm a big fan of Eskimo Joe, and their lead singer, Cav Templey, is our podcast guest this week. Hey, Cav, how are you doing? Hey, Gavin, how are you? Look, I'm brilliant, but uh, more importantly, how are you? Uh, pretty well. Uh, I have admittedly haven't slept for about two nights because we have a dog, and for some reason, for the first time, He's decided to bark continuously till about five in the morning for the last two nights. So I feel like I'm back to having a, a newborn child, It's uh, except oh. it's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of dog? Uh, he's a, a Pomeranian Chihuahua. So, yeah, he's, oh, he's, very, lovely. he's very cute. But, yes, I don't find him very cute right now. But, anyway, that's my only gripe at the moment. So if I, if I suddenly start spacing out, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, if that's your only problem, today's going to be a good day. Yeah, totally. Now, Cab, I want to go back, right back to the early days of Eskimo Joe. I'm very excited about your new single from your upcoming second album, which we'll be talking about, and talking about all the awards that Eskimo Joe have won. I mean, you've in the 25 years, you, you haven't been slack. You've been very busy picking up uh, amazing awards, which I'll go through. Now, I also want to talk about Cav Templey, the name, because when I went through school, Gavin, I was the only Gavin in the, in the school, and I'm sure you were the only Cav in the school. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I was. But, you know, I went to a few different schools. And, um, and yes, I was the only Cav at all of the schools. But, uh, yeah, it's an Indian name. And it's, so I'm sure if I went to a school in India, there'd, there'd be a few more Cavs around. Now, it means poet of truth, right? Yeah, uh, Cav, Satyam Cavian, which is the full kind of translation of it, means, yeah, the truth poet. Right. Now, your, your family went and followed a, a, a religion and uh, took you along with them for the journey. I would say that would be very interesting what you went through. Uh, yeah, look, it, it was an interesting journey. I mean, I, I wouldn't call it uh, a religion what it was. It's more of a kind of a spiritual movement, I guess. Okay. Vague right. cultish vibes. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they had an ashram in Pune in India. So I went over there when I was about 13 years old and um, end up meeting a whole bunch of kids from uh, this school in England, this kind of boarding school. And I'd kind of left Perth on this, you know, two month holiday. And I ended up going, going to this school in India and disappeared for about a year and a half. Uh, and I uh, had this amazing experience because the school itself was in England. It was down in Devon and they had this uh, music room and I was just getting into music. When I left Perth, all my friends were just getting into heavy metal as you do as a young uh, yeah. you know, Australian kid. Um, and then I got to this school and I kind of rediscovered all this daggy stuff like Sting and, and every time there'd be a break between, you know, a mass period, you know, me and my friends would run to the music room and just jam. So I came back to Perth about a year and a half later and I was, I'd kind of had this very different experience to all my friends and it set me on a path of, of, of music and discovery and, you know, it took the blinkers off. So I'd, it, I, I kind of stopped playing uh, Enter Sandman covers with my with my friends in the, their jam room and, and really just started exploring music. And that was the beginning of probably uh, my journey into Eskimo Joe, I would say. Mm, well, it would have given you a deeper appreciation of of the story and the lyric and uh, and the feel and the and and the whole lot, which is a, would be a lot deeper than most Australian songwriters at the time. I think it's more 
you know, that Perth is a very isolated place and it's that's there's something really beautiful about that and especially like as a creator you can come back here and you can create and you can create your project and then take it out into the world and it's very fully formed before anyone sees it. But, you know, Perth, Western Australia in and Fremantle especially in in the early 90s was was still pretty kind of, I don't know, uh, country town like I guess yeah so everyone had a very short uh, idea of where the horizon was and I think all what it did you know being able to leave Western Australia and go to England it just broadened my horizon about that there was all these other things out in the world to experience so it just it broadened my idea of what was possible and that I didn't have to rest at just being from Fremantle Mm, mm. That's good. Now, you, you, you did wag school to write songs, which, which struck a chord with me because I kind of did a similar thing. I, I wag school to go and see the new James Bond movie. <laughs> well, that's great because you ended up being a spy and, and you know, making an amazing <laughs> career out of it. So it worked out well for you. <laughs> oh, you know about that, do you? Sorry. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> now, tell me about Eskimo Joe. Uh, six studio albums, sales close to a million in Australia <laughs> alone. Uh, of course, uh, uh, three albums debuted number one on the Aria chart. Black Fingernails, Red Wine spent 62 weeks in the Aria top 50 charts. I mean, that's... Mm. An amazing accomplishment, isn't it? Yeah, I, I didn't even realise that until I did an episode of Spicks and Specs and they lined me up against, I think there was someone from Friends of Rome, there was one of the Wiggles, uh, there was uh-huh. uh, you know someone from Killing Heidi, a bunch of other bands. Anyway, and, and the, you know, the contestants had to line us up to who had spent the most amount of time in, in the ARIA charts. And, of course, they put the Wiggles at the top because it's the Wiggles, man. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah anyway, the cockroaches. But uh, <laughs> and they, I was kind of somewhere towards the bottom. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then it was revealed, yeah, that Eskimo Joe had spent more time in the ARIA charts than all of these bands. So that was a surprise to me. And, and, I, and you forget, you know, you just you keep – working on the next thing and uh and then suddenly you look back and you're like oh wow that's right we did that that's cool yeah and then you followed it up with foreign land from uh uh Ashala. uh two APRA awards most played rock song in the on oz radio and the best rock song of 2010 yeah i mean that's anytime you get accolades for the hard work you put in in front of your peers it always feels really really good yeah. Um, at the time, it's hard to kind of process because you almost feel a bit embarrassed when people give you these awards. You're like, oh, thank you. You know, it's a very Australian thing. Uh, but looking back on it, you know, I'd, it's it's such an honour to be, you know, acknowledged. And also the thing that really took me by surprise was the most Australian, most played on Australian radio. And I was like, okay, that's great. That's a really oh. cool achievement. Oh, mate, it's a great song. Uh, 35 ARIA nominations. You're up there with Silver Chair and, and, and John Farnham, three international songwriting awards, um, and also eight ARIAs as well, and uh, 11, uh, 11 other alumni awards. And, and mate, it's, it's, it's great to have the awards and, and the recognition. Uh, and, and, of course, when you write a song, you're not looking for those awards, but it, it must be so comforting to know that uh, people love Eskimo Joe. Yeah, look, you know, we, I guess, I think I'm at a place now in my career and especially with the guys where we can really appreciate it. But, Mm. you know, in about 2013, we decided to take a bit of a hiatus from being a full-time band. And I think that was because, you know, that we could, we could feel that it was, you know, 
if you have a long, if you're lucky enough to have a long enough career, you have, you know, dips in your career. And I, and I, I think we all felt like we weren't, it wasn't cool or something. I don't know. It just didn't feel right to be in Eskimo Joe at that point in time. So we stepped mm. away, but um, we just played a, a gig uh, yesterday um, for WA Day in, in Australia, in uh, Perth. And, you know, there was so many young crew out there. And, and I realized these were, these were guys who were probably 17, 16, 17 when the lockdown first happened. Mm-hmm. So they're going to their first shows ever, you know, and they're there at this big, like 70,000 people they had there. Wow. And they're at this huge show and everyone's up the front singing along, doing all the hand movements for Black Fingernails, mm-hmm. Red Wine. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know what? It, it, I feel so privileged to have survived a lull in our career to come back up to be able to do these kinds of shows so you know you have highs and lows with how you feel about your own career but mm. um but at this point in time i think all of us in the band have this sense of just actual appreciation that we've managed to survive that long in friendship and also in you know being able to play these these big shows still it's great i i think bands like yours and also hoodoo gurus you know dave mm. faulkner told me that they took a break as well mm. um i i think you get to a and i i was in a band before i got into radio and sometimes the rest of the guys really give you the shits, you know, <laughs> and you well, think, i got to get away, you know. Yeah, well, you're living out of each other's pockets. You is, are. Is the term. And, yeah. uh, you know, the way that I like to think about it is, is when we were younger, everything was so fluid, you know. We just kind of all, you know, were in each other's world. It was, it was a bit like being in the army to a certain extent. You know, you just kind of, mm. you got the call, you went out there and did it. But as we got older and we had families, everyone became their own universe, really. And it was all these kind of, these planetary systems out, you know, in, in different parts. And, and, and I guess, and that's a really important thing. That's actually growing up and, and progressing as a human in life. And I think as we got to that point, you know, we all really liked each other and we wanted to preserve what we had. So Mm, mm. stepping away from doing it on a, on a daily basis was a really important thing to, to continue our friendship. And we didn't, you know, it's not like we didn't speak to each other again, but we certainly didn't spend as much time with each other for a while. Mm. But now we're back into it, doing it all the time. Like we get on great and we really enjoy each other's company when we're together. Well, I love your energy. It says that uh, Cav Templey is the voice of a generation. And I read that and I went, hang on, I was the voice of the 80s. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've passed the baton to Cav. Yeah, well, that's, I'll take that baton and run. Thank you very much. Good on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's true. I mean, I love your voice. I love the energy of the band. I love, there's, there's two of my favorite Australian bands, you know, and I used to love Sunny Boys, you know, back in the 80s. Mm. But uh, Hoodoo Gurus and uh, Eskimo Joe, two of my favorite all-time bands. Well, I'm, I feel very honoured to be put into the same uh, company as Hootie Gurus because they are one of the great Australian songwriters, I think. Sure, sure. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives since 1934. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Hello, this is Cav Templey from Eskimo Joe, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast. Now, your first solo album, All Your Devotion, debuted back in 2018 before COVID. Mm. Tell me about your decision to make a solo album well i guess uh it kind of happened after we decided to you know take a bit of a hiatus from doing eskies full-time i'm just one of those like music tragics where people are like oh what do you do in your spare time i'm like i just i write Mm. music (laughs) all i do is hang out in a jam Mm. room and write music so 
I'm writing songs all the time. Sometimes they end up on, you know, other people's records. I do a lot of production for other bands as well. Um, But, but Mm -hmm. really, you know, I'm an artist through and through and I can't help but document what goes on around me all the time. And I just also am one of those people who has to put it out. I just, I can't, I can't not. And, and I'll, I'll do that, you know, even when no one wants to listen to my music anymore, I'll just do that for my whole life. And so with all your devotion, I think there was a, a real um, desire to to hear what it sounded like, you know, without the band, with you know, because Eskimo Joe really is the sum of its parts. I generally write mm-hmm. the bare bones of the song, but then by the time we put it through the Eskimo Joe machine, it sounds like an Eskimo Joe song. So I wanted to take all of my influences and everything that I I did and just go, well, you know, if I had no one else telling me oh, if the song should go like this, what would it sound like? Um, so that first album, All Your Devotion, was really about that. It was about finding who I was as a solo artist. So I drew really heavily on my main influences, which is this kind of early 70s, Neil Young, David Bowie kind of stuff, um, but always oh, nice, but always sounding nice. like it's from the future. You know, that's, that's what, what I think music yeah. should be. Um, and so moving into this uh, next solo album that I've done, I haven't done as much analysis this time around. I've just like, I've, I'm, I'm speaking to you from my little studio that I have in Fremantle. And during the lockdown period, I would just, you know, sneak in here and, and just start writing and tracking an album, which has turned into this album. And so a lot of it's just me in a room by myself and for long periods of time until stuff sounds good. Um, and the first song, which is mm. Machines of Love and Grace, I didn't know whether that was going to be an Eskimo Joe song or not. I thought, you know, maybe this this could be a new Eski song. So I was writing this song and I was writing it about, um, you know, what it, how, you know, I was kind of just documenting what was going on for me during the whole pandemic lockdown. And a lot mm-hmm. of that was about this, uh, you know, extreme and intense and intimate relationship we have through our phones now. I mean, I don't know about yourself, but I spent a lot of dinner times with people on FaceTime, you know, from around the world and, and Australia as I was locked in my house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the phone phone was the first thing I'd look at in the morning and the last thing I'd look at before I'd go to bed. And every time my wife got up to go to the toilet, I would pick up my phone and look at it. And it just became, you know, everything we did. And so I started to write, you know, that down into into the version of a song, which was this idea of, um, almost a possessive, obsessional relationship between two people, except I'm seeing from the perspective of the phone. Um, mm-hmm. And so by necessity, I was writing about that. I was also just writing in my studio. Uh, there's a lot of cool percussion sounds on it. That's because one of the guys I share the studio with is a percussionist. <laughs> you know, I just like whoever right. was around, yeah. I was just like, hey, man, do you want to come and play on the record? So, right. so right. the album just developed this sound of – uh, the space that I was in, as opposed to who am I as a solo artist? I just, I just wrote and recorded, and and that's what it sounded like. And I, and I kind of love that, that. That you know, I'm really happy with the sound of the record, but I haven't sat down and thought, you know, okay, I need to, I need to, I need to find the new me. I've, I've kind of already done that with all your devotion. This time around, I get to just, yeah. just record and write, yeah. which is great. Now, did your wife Beth? Did she say to you at one stage, "Look, will you put the bloody phone down? I'm sick of it." It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, she was probably on the phone herself. Oh, okay. I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. We're all on our bloody. Yeah, we phone. are, aren't this we? Is yeah. the, you know, and I'm not. And I'm. I'm promise you, I'm not trying to pass judgment on anyone. I'm just starting that conversation about you know maybe we need to analyze what we're doing here. Like I know that we've got this kind of deal with the devil. We can't go back now that we're mm. there, but. 
we, prob- we probably just need to have a conversation about where we're going with mm. it. Now, I love the film clip, your film, your solo film clip of Machines of Love and Grace. And, and I saw you and I thought, how's Cav feeling there all by himself without the boys behind him? Was it a strange transition to go from mm. Eskimo Joe to Cav Templey? Um, you have kind of moments of giddy um, freedom, <laughs> like, you know, you've just broken up with a girl <laughs> and you're just thinking, oh, my God, think of all the things I could do. Um, but <laughs> there's moments of that. But it's, you know, a lot of it, like I really appreciate my band even more from having sat in a room by myself for long periods of time. Mm. Um, because when you're writing a solo record, you have to do everything. You know, you you have to write and play the drums and, and the guitars and the pianos and it, everything just takes so long. Um, but you also have this kind of pendulum swing between I'm a genius, this is the greatest thing I've ever written, to I'm an imposter, I may as well go get myself a job at McDonald's because it's all I'm qualified to do. Um, so Never you kind of go, Never think that. You go back and forth between these places. Mm. And if, you, if you're with a band, if you've got your fellas there with you, the, you know, on those days where you're off, they'll be like, oh, you know what, it's great. It sounds wicked. Let's just continue on. And you're like, okay, cool. And then the next day you come in and you're like, oh, yeah, it does sound good. Cool. Well, Let's keep moving. Well, let me tell you, you belong in the solo space and you also belong in the band space. You do both of them exceptionally well. Well, thank you very much. Now, as far as getting out of COVID and you being so creative for the last couple of years by going into the studio and writing, writing these songs, which has been a great outlet for you, did it affect you the two years of quarantine? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we we were lucky in a couple of senses that we got this, um, uh, I don't know what it was called, but it was basically like the dole. We all kind of got like a weekly wage. Mm-hmm. And, oh, good. And I think that good. for musicians everywhere, that was that was a huge um, ease on their mental health and, you know, being able, not having to think about the next gig that was going to come through. Uh, yeah. We were lucky yeah. enough in our world to have some savings to kind of live off, but we had big plans, you know, just before the the lockdown happened and we had to shelve all of that. And then I feel like we're just kind of building that back up again. So it was very destabilizing, but I feel very lucky to have been in Eskimo Joe because, um, you know, we are, we've got a back catalog of greatest hits, so we can just Mm -hmm. kind of rock roll out at any point in time and just play a big show. I think it would have been very, very hard for really young um, up-and-coming bands who have to, mm. you know, like, yes, I think they've all become very native digitally and I think that's that's pretty impressive. But there's nothing like, you know, doing that mould of, going, cool, I'm going to put out a song, I'm going to play some live shows, do some big supports for bands that I love, carry some of those, that, that you know, those fans with me to my project you know, that's a really established and great way to build up a fan base. And we've managed to do that with Eskimo Joy because we're into our 23rd year of being a band. Um, but mm. for these young bands, I think that would have been a really tricky time. So I feel very fortunate that we had some money and I had a career to kind of go fall back on. Um, but, you know, and I used this time to just be creative and try and write a record. But it was very tricky. And, and I, I feel like we're, we're going to be decompressing from this experience for the next couple of years. Yeah, I've spoken to a lot of our podcast guests, you know, about the the uh, the COVID and two years and all of like, and and the general uh, consensus of opinion is that we were flying too fast before COVID, and when COVID came along, we got a chance to sit back and take a breath and and slow down a bit. Yeah, there was there was definitely elements of 
um, for myself and a lot of my friends who've only known getting on a plane every, mm. you know, two to six weeks for their whole entire life to, to not do that for, for, you know, two years is, is, was amazing. Like we were saying at the, at the beginning of this chat, I've just been kept up by a dog for the last two days <laughs> <laughs> and I've never been able to get a dog before because I've always been on the road. So, of course, um, yeah. So those kinds of things, those like those moments of normality, which have got to be good for the soul, I think, uh, are a positive. Now, what did you name your dog? Kimchi. Kimchi. Kimchi, like, like the. Isn't that a food in Japan or uh, something? It's a, it's a Korean uh, rotten spicy cabbage. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes, I've seen that on all the cooking shows. Yep, yep. Kimchi is delicious. Uh, yes. And very spicy. And our mm. dog kimchi is definitely very spicy. Ah, uh, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love the name. That fits very well. <laughs> now, obviously, uh, big plans happening for, for you and Eskimo Joe. Uh, you know, yes. getting back on the tour bus, getting back on the festival bus, going overseas. You know, it's all starting to get exciting again. Yeah. We're, um, so, uh, with my solo stuff, the, I've got a record that, um, that is ready to come out in September, which is exciting. So there'll be a couple more songs that come out. And then in the meantime, I've got a extensive regional tour I'll be doing and then finishing it off with some uh, city dates in November. And then in between there, uh, Eskies are going to hit the road and do a double album tour where we're going to play our albums, Songs of City and Black Fingernails, Red Wine, back to back. So you know, they, were, okay. they were important records for us and for our fans. So we're going to go out and play those albums in their entirety, which will be heaps of fun. Now, Machines of Love and Grace, that's the title of the new album. That's right, yes. So you'll be out there uh, doing solo gigs and then uh, going out with the band. So really, you've got the best of both worlds, but you'll be busy as hell. Well, that's the plan. You know, we've been, I think I've had enough time off for the last two and a half years. I don't think I've got any excuses. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, this is Cav Templey from Eskimo Joe, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's podcast. Now, I also understand, in your spare time, if there is any now, uh, you and uh, your wife Beth have been uh, running songwriting workshops. Tell me all about that. Yeah, we've, it's something that we've been doing for quite a few years. Uh, I mean, I'm really passionate about the idea of teaching kids, especially between that, that uh, age group of 13 to 17, where abstract thought you know starts to enter the mind for the first time teaching kids how you know you can walk into a room with a bunch of strangers and write a song from scratch in a collaborative way that is good enough to end up on someone's album uh, and that is a skill set that you know you it's they don't really teach that even at all of the universities because i lecture at these universities as well they don't really teach mm. that skill set and it's such an important thing because, you know, in places like Sweden, this is what they teach in high school. And that's why Sweden has this amazing uh, pop music culture over there. You know, big bands go over there to record their records because they're so good at it. Um, Thank you, ABBA. Yeah. You've got to remember. Oh, exactly. Didn't ABBA have the best sound? They did. I mean, they were probably the beginning of that whole thing, but it really mm. came about with, um, you know, these characters like Max Martin and, and stuff when they started working on yeah. Britney Spears yeah, and big Backstreet Boys yeah. and all those things. So anyway, um, you know, in Australia, we have the potential to as to create that as an export, you know, to really write uh -huh. songs that are that good of quality that bands internationally are using them to on their records. So I kind of teach kids this skill set, uh, stuff that I would have loved to have learned when I was, you know, in my mid-teens, how to how to sure. how to write a song yeah. and and how just to get get on with it. 
And one of the great things that happened during the lockdown period is we did this uh, this songwriting course and we, we got a grant to get a bunch of kids in lockdown and do it as a like a Zoom uh, songwriting course. So we we got all these kids and the, this was the middle of, of lockdown. So we had kids in, in Melbourne and Tasmania and Sydney and Queensland and Perth. Cool. And they were all yeah. in their, in their bedrooms and we, and I would send them out a video once a week and say, you know, Hey guys, this is what we're going to do this week. And then over the period of, as opposed to you know, writing a song in a day over the period of about four weeks, we got together on zoom calls. And by the end of it, uh, we'd written us, I'd help them write a song together and then they sent in all their parts, you know, usually just kind of sung into an iPhone or whatever. And then I put that, yeah, put that all together yeah. and then sent it out. And it was just such a, just a cool project to do. So, yeah. um, so I'm, wow. that's something that, you know, we'll continue to do forever. Uh, but it's something I'm also really passionate about. One of the good things about uh, COVID was uh, the release of the, uh, the Beatles uh, with uh, Peter Jackson. And oh my God, showing- how good was that? And, and and wasn't it amazing that the songwriting process that the Beatles went through and you realize that McCartney is a genius. Well, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to be said in this. Let's let's unpack a little bit here. Okay. All <laughs> but, right, uh, let's get but, into yeah, it. <laughs> but yeah, McCartney was he was definitely the uh come on everyone, get back to work guy. Um yeah. but they were they were just very what I what I took away from it is they were very kind to each other you know they all loved each other there was there was was, no dissent in the band well there was a lot of talk of tension and there's moments you know where and you hear that coffee room conversation where i think lennon's talking to mccartney and they're just like he's like look man i know you've got your thing that you do where you tell everyone to get on with it and yes that finishes songs but not everyone wants to do that all the time and that's not how all songs are finished so and mccartney's really good about it he's like oh yeah no yeah you're right yeah fair enough yeah Yeah. you know it was just great so yeah and yoko yoko just sat there and supported john you know she didn't interfere or anything like that and poor old george and ringo just sat back and watched the watched lennon and mccartney create magic yeah there's some great great moments and you can see harrison trying to flex his you know his songwriting muscle and yeah not not feeling quite appreciated yet and yeah um, yeah. you know it's yeah it was it was fascinating and i just a really it was so because everyone's seen that footage of them up on the on the rooftop but it was great to Hmm. see the journey like you know from the film studio bit where it's they're getting a little bit of stuff going on but it's not really happening and yeah. um, you know from that journey then to going into the jam room and, and doing it properly in the studio and all those takes you know that we all know and then the final rooftop performance it's just you just really feel like okay cool I feel like I've got an insight into being in the Beatles which was just amazing yeah it was and and it and the process was amazing too that 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 come together with you know a few lyrics and a few and a few melodies, and all of a sudden, if they weren't getting it, they'd go off and have a little jam. Yeah, yeah. and then they'd come, and then they'd come back to it. You know, it's just a, a really interesting way that they were writing songs. I just adored it. And the other thing that I took away from that is, if you want to write great songs, just have a lot of tea and toast on tap all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is so true. Yeah. You know, you think here are these guys. You know, they'd be into drugs and booze and everything yeah. like that. No, but a cup of tea and a piece of toast, just I beautiful. Reckon, I think there was a couple of nights where Harrison came in and he had been in an all nighter. You can tell yeah. he'd, he'd yeah. been out because he'd be like, "Oh, I wrote this song last night." He'd clearly had a some special tea. And uh, and stayed up all night and came in with a song. So yeah, he was he was definitely doing some benders at that point in time. 
Oh man! Now, getting back to your blended family, yeah. you've you've got two sons, and uh, and Beth, or has Beth got the two sons, and you've got the two daughters? Uh, which, two, which... I've got two boys. She's got two girls, and we are yes, a full Brady bunch. Good on you, mate. Yeah, I've got I've got uh, I've got two daughters to the first marriage and two sons to the second marriage. You know, my belief was you can only fit four comfortably in a car. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I look having four children, as you know, it's uh, it's fairly challenging. Yeah, you need a van. <laughs> oh my god! We, we well, luckily, I'm very good at driving a Kia Carnival after years of being in, in on tour. So there you go. Well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I've really, really enjoyed our chat. It's, Thank you so much, Gavin. Me too. It, it's just been great. Now, I've got a few questions. A few uh, questions without notice. I hope you don't mind. Go for it. First question: Who inspired you to make music? Um, well, there's, that's a that's a complex question because it's come in at, at different tiers, at different lives, but I, at different points. But I would have to say the Beatles. Um, and the funniest thing is that I, you know, I got one of those Beatles complete songbooks, and I started to learn them all. And then I was, mm-hmm. I pretty much learned all the songs, and then I would sit down and try and play along to the records, and it sounded nothing like it. So I would just give up and just write my own song with the chords that I'd I'd, I'd gotten, and it, and years and years later, uh, I I was listening to a podcast with um, Alex Kapanoff, I think his name is from great Scottish band. Anyway, uh, and he was saying telling the same story, and he went, he said, oh yeah, and then I found my girlfriend had this other complete Beatles songbook and the chords that I'd been learning were wrong. They were the wrong chords. Yeah. And, and and I was like, oh, my God. And he was saying how that was how he started writing songs and, and I had exactly the same experience. So I got my guitar, tried to learn these songs, worked out the chords and just used them for my own songs. So that that's pretty much how I got into it. Now, if you could open up a show for any artist, who would it be? Oh, dear. Um, well... Uh, I'd have to say Paul McCartney, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I just saw his show he did the other night. He's still good. Oh, fantastic. He's still good. Still doing it. Still on tour. <laughs> what a legend! Yeah. What a legend. Now, name three dinner guests, dead or alive. Margaret Atwood, um, Tom Robbins, and John Lennon. Margaret Atwood. Explain Margaret Atwood to me. She's probably like one of my favorite writers um and she's okay. come into uh, a lot of fame recently because she wrote the book the handmaid's tale which got turned into oh. a huge tv series but she but oh, all, she's okay <laughs> but all of her books are amazing and um i mean i read the handmaid's tale a long time ago before it got turned into a tv series but yeah. uh you know i'm such a if I, I i love reading but if i want to be honest if you put a bit of fantasy in any book that i read I'm, i'll eat it up in two seconds so Margaret Atwood's great because she writes, you know, really well-written, you know, intellectually stimulating uh, novels, but they always right. have this like little twist of fantasy in there. And I, and she's just such a fascinating character. I've seen her on talk shows, uh, you know, mm. uh, talking about stuff like, you know, uh, Handmaid's Tale. And she's just super switched on and super smart, but this kind of like quite elderly looking woman and so very unsuspecting and i've seen her completely destroy talk to her host it's, she's fantastic oh i'd like to see that yeah <laughs> now cav what is your favorite song to perform um well i guess uh, uh we've got a song called from the sea and we always finish it finish our shows with it um and we have this kind of moment where we it's got this big 
sing along that goes, oh, whoa, 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 I won't sing it for you. But uh, we get everyone in the audience clapping and we stop playing our guitars mm-hmm. and we just, it turns into this kind of stadium uh, soccer chant and everybody sings and claps along. And that, that, that oh, moment I love never that. gets old. That's and I great. Feel, we always walk off stage on a huge high. And the funny thing is, is we do this clapping game before we go on stage with Eskimo Joe where we, we try and clap as fast as we can and, and the last person standing who's still clapping, who's always stupid for some reason. I'm pretty sure he's cheating. Uh, but they, they like win the game. And then we, and then we finish the, the show by clapping, doing the same thing with the audience. And so we do this full circle thing and, and, and it, yeah, I love it. It's always great. What's the uh, most trouble that you've ever gotten into? Oh, oh dear. I don't even know if you want to know that. Oh, I, I do. Was, I do. I was, a, <laughs> <laughs> I was a very, very naughty uh, child. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's there's many, many things that I did. But I remember stealing some money off my stepdad when I was about 12, 13 at that age where you start to do those things. You know, mm-hmm. I've, got a, I've got a kid who's 13, he's 13, 14 now. He's doing all of the things that I used to do, but I was way worse. So right. uh, that's a little bit of a relief. But I, <laughs> yeah, I just kind of, I, one day I just was like, I just needed a little bit of extra dollars and I reached into a jacket pocket of my stepdad and it just happened to be all his, where he was saving his money and I pulled out this water cash and I didn't realize it, but it was a huge amount of money. And I just like some part of my brain took over where I was thinking of all the possibilities of what I could do with this money. And so I went out and I bought a skateboard and I bought like, (laughs) I bought all all these band t-shirts with no thought of like, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Um, And I think I bought some weed as well. And, you know, all the the naughty things that you do. (laughs) And then of course I got busted so badly for it. And, and I managed to kind of sell the skateboard and give some of the money back, but right. yeah, that was uh, I, I, yeah, that was probably the most busted I ever got. That was a good teaching moment. It was probably next week's rent. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> they were saving up to go overseas, and I spent right. a, a bunch of money. So oh, good on you, Cav. Yeah, naughty me. <laughs> yeah. Now, if you could change anything about the music industry, what would you do? Well, I would I would fund the arts a lot more. I would put I would give large amounts of money to the states, and mm-hmm. uh, and and the state bodies like you know. So in Western Australia we have WAM, and I would give them the chance to. They should be the people giving out. Um, you know, uh, um, sorry, I'm having a brain blunt because I haven't haven't said. They should be the people giving out grants to people. Yeah. And so, as opposed to having you know, I mean, thank God we've got a minister for the arts again. We just. <laughs> We, yes. we had a minister for main roads and infrastructure. Now we've finally got, you know, I think Tony Burke is the minister for the arts now. And and, and he plays guitar. Yeah, he loves music, which is mm, fantastic. Which is um, which is which is a real bonus. Yes, a hundred percent. But I would, if I could change anything about the music industry, I would give large amounts of money to the states to give out grants to people within their state to represent their state, and that would mm-hmm. give people the incentive to become artists from like they wouldn't feel like they have to move to become like you know move to the big city to become that artist they could stay where they are i think there's something very magical about creating music from where you're from Mm -hmm. and being in touch with the land i think is really important so if you could stay there and you could have money to tour and make your records um and and you know have that kind of leg up i think that would just really do great things for our industry and and help tell our stories which i think is really important well also it it kind of legitimizes the career as well 
Yes, uh, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think that we, are, I don't think nepotism is going to come into it. You know, when you've got, when you've got a bunch of people who we're, we're, we're a bit more advanced in this way that, you know, mm. people, people know how to, to give money to artists now. So uh, I don't think we need to worry about, you know, people get favoritism or any of those kinds of things. So I just think, yeah, it would, it would boost the economy. It would boost people's sense of, uh, self as an artist, they could walk down the street and be like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I play in a band. And that mm. would be a legitimate conversation of not, well, what do you do to make money? You mm. know, I just think that, yeah, look, let's just give lots of money to the arts. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. What's the best show that you've ever done? Um, look, it's changing all the time. There's always highlights that come up and they're, they're always special for different reasons. But, you know, in recent years, we got to play a bunch of shows with the Symphony Orchestra with Eskimo Joe. And, uh, you know, to hear these songs that I'd written in my bedroom on a, probably a nylon string guitar played with a 56-piece orchestra, um, you know, in these beautiful concert halls wow. was just such a buzz. And, you know, I just felt like I'm not worthy, <laughs> you know, uh, but it was really magical. Final question, Cav Tempoli. What have you learnt and what would you pass on to a young, hopeful musician? Uh, I've learnt that you don't have to be a Renaissance man. It's good to, to know to know your way around the whole engine, as they say, but really, you know, work out what you love to do and just do that really, really well. And because, you know, as they say, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that to anyone coming into the industry, you know, you might be one of those people who loves pressing record, you know, you and putting a microphone in, in, in front of something, you know, you might be one of those people who loves, you know, artwork, or you might be just a really good musician, yes. a good player, but you know, you're not a great writer. You know, you might just be someone who's a great writer, who, but never wants to step on stage. That's okay. Just do what you do. And you just get as deep into it as you possibly can. And you really enjoy that. Uh, You don't have to do everything. Cav, good luck with the new solo album that's coming out. The the single is uh, is due to drop, Machines of Love and Grace. Uh, uh, love the film clip, love the song, and it's great to have uh, a dual career, a solo career, and also the brilliant career of Eskimo Joe. May you get out there and kick ass and have a lot of fun in the future, my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much for the support, Gavin. I really appreciate it. Beautiful, Cav. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. All the best, mate. Bye. Gavin Wood's podcast was thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.